On today's Locked On Thunder podcast, let's dive into who on the Thunder roster has the most pressure to perform this year in Oklahoma City, whether it be contract situation or just trying to stay in the league. Who is under the most pressure this year for the Thunder? All that and more coming up on today's Locked On Thunder podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder Podcast, on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your teams every day. I am your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LO Thunderpod. Email the show, LOThunderpod at gmail.com. On today's show, we're going to dive into which player is under the most pressure to perform this year for the Oklahoma City Thunder. We're talking Darius Baisley. We're talking Poku. We're talking Chet Holmgren in his rookie year. How does Lou Dort's contract affect his expectations and can Josh Giddy build off of what was a historic rookie season? A lot more to get into as well. But thank you for making Lockdown Thunder your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. Subscribe for free across all platforms so you never miss an episode. And again, I'm your host, media member and editor-in-chief over at thundersintentions.com, Ryland Styles. Now let's dive into which player has the most pressure to perform this year. So, We're looking at a lot of different factors here. Which player, if they don't perform, might be out of the league if they don't perform this year for the Thunder? Which player needs a new contract? Which players just got a contract and need to show that it was, you know, a a valuable investment for the Thunder? We're looking at a ton of different things here, and we're going to try to power rank them. And I've got on this list, I've got six names here for who is under the most pressure by this Thunder organization. Because the Thunder are still a very young team. A lot of these guys have a very long leash because they're rookies or second-year guys. Or, you know, Shea, of course, who has no pressure to perform because he's just that guy. But there are still some things that need to be ironed out for this Thunder group. And I think that the player who has the very most pressure to perform and who is under the most scrutiny and has the, the biggest weight on their back for this season is Darius Baisley. He comes in this year on a, in a contract year. He's a free agent after the year's over. 2019 first-round pick, a disappointing start to his career. He's a polarizing player within the fan base. For his career, he's averaging 10 points, 5 rebounds, and assists, and nearly a block per game. He's only shooting 30% from three in his career. But last year, he showed off elite defensive ability as a switchable defender going one through five and being able to play defense at a very high level. This offseason, he's up to 220 from 208 in terms of his weight, uh, and that can make him more durable and and give him stronger, uh, give him more strength to defend the basket and score at the rim uh, as he's an explosive cutter as well offensively. And a constant theme this year will be uh, Chip England. And, you know, he's in-house, and and, and can he improve Darius Basley's three-point percentage? Because if he does, and Darius Basley still defends at that level he defended at last year, that really changes the perception of Darius Baisley. Right now, it feels like you're either all in on Baisley or all out on Baisley. There's nobody that's just kind of lukewarm on Darius Baisley. 
He is somebody who fans have very, very strong opinions of. And while I don't think that Darius Space will be out of the league by any means, like I, I, I don't think that you know even if he had a terrible year this year, he wouldn't get another gig. I think that this season will go a long way in defining, does he earn a huge contract extension? Does he earn a contract extension, period? Or will he just be a flyer one-year deal for some team to take a chance on next offseason? Like, what is his future look like in this league? Is he a starter? Is he a is he a high priority bench piece, or is he just a a, a one year deal, maybe a one one year or two year deal uh, on very cheap money that you just say, hey, if it works out great, if it doesn't, we can just wave him and move on. How does this season play out for Baisley in general? Also, does he suffer the same fate as Hamadou Diallo? Remember, Hamadou Diallo was entering a contract year, played pretty well to start his season. At the trade deadline, he was involved in a somewhat meaningless trade with Detroit for Steve Luke and a, a second-round uh, pick. Luckily, you know, Hamadou Diallo's worked out in Detroit, and he's re-signed there, and he's made it uh, a long stint in Detroit. But a lot is still in the air about Darius Baisley's basketball future. This is a guy that, for you know, that forego college, went to New Balance as an intern, uh, was really one of the first couple players to, to take that route of not going to a, the traditional college route and do something like New Balance, or, you know, of course now we've gotten better infrastructure for that, like in NBA G League Ignite or Overtime Elite, things like that. But for Darius Baisley, he should be a great piece for what Mark says he wants to do. Ever since the Thunder hired Mark Dagnall, he wants to run fast, grab and go off rebounds. Everyone can play make, everybody can ball handle, everybody can move the ball up the floor and advance the possession offensively and get out in transition, and he wants to switch on defense. All those things should play to the strengths of Darius Baisley. Then you factor in that a Baisley-Dort-Chet lineup should be an elite defensive trio, no matter who's around them on that floor um, to round out the five. So can Baisley make that stride this year? And if he can't, there's a bigger discussion to be had. Look, my opinions have been known on Darius Baisley. I mean, I, I, I've called him building block Baisley before, and that hasn't quite panned out the way that um, we, we've hoped, but I still think this guy can be a really good NBA player, and I still think that this guy has a really bright NBA future. My question is, though, if you can't get it in gear, if you can't have a good year this year and a contract year with all that's on the line for you, when is it going to get put together? And some guys just need a change of scenery. Some guys just need a change. So maybe that's the problem with Darius Basley. But in general, I think that the Thunder have the infrastructure, have the environment, have the ecosystem, and the play style to benefit Darius Baisley and get him unlocked this year as a player. But as we saw last year, Mark's not going to be afraid to bench him. If he's struggling midway through the season and Jeremiah Rumpson Earl is playing great, he'll start Jeremiah Rumpson Earl. Heck, if these two go to training camp and JRE is clearly the better player, he'll start JRE from day one. So like... Baisley has a lot of pressure on him this year, and it starts from day one. That first step will be, can he retain his starting spot? Can he get that back in, in, in full force in training camp and start game one? The next step will be, can he keep his spot as a starter? The next step will be, can he turn his perception around, both within the fan base and just within the NBA, obviously, and, and become a, a good NBA player? And the next step will be, can he play so well that you have to extend him? Because roster spots are going to be at a premium in Oklahoma City. 
You have all these future first round picks. You have, um, you still haven't even made your big win now move. That's another roster spot that you're going to have to bring in is whoever you bring in with all these picks that you have in the future as well. So you're looking at a team that is finding their young core this year. And then I believe next year is going to try to cash in and bring in somebody who's, who's more of a solidified NBA player. So Baisley has one more shot to prove that he should be in Oklahoma city for the long haul. Can he do that this year? And I think that the tools are all there for him. Not only does he have the physical tools himself, but he's, he's in an environment in Oklahoma city that's conducive to player development. They've brought in the best shooting coach in the league to help his, his one deficiency. And we saw last year him start to, you know, turn things around, especially defensively turning into um, a switchable defender one through five. Now, basketball reference projects his stats this year to be 14 points, two assists, eight rebounds per game, shooting 42% from the floor, 31% from three. Obviously, you still project he'll be an elite defender as well, especially given his position and the value of his switchability. You know, if that three-point percentage leaps up to, you know, 34, 35 with his defense, and he's, you know, making 14 points, two assists, eight rebounds per game, that's a really good season. It's a really good season. It comes down to the shooting percentages and how he gets there for me uh, in, in in this season. So we'll see if he can perform under that pressure. We'll see if he can kind of rejuvenize his career. And while the stakes are high for his Oklahoma City tenure, again, I think that he'll get another shot in the NBA next year no matter what. I think that he'll at least be on somebody's team as a flyer um, that they take at the end of the, end of the rotation. So either way, he's going to have an NBA future, but it's just – how much of one will he have? Will he, will he be on a long-term stable contract or will he be bouncing around a team to team trying to prove himself? We've seen first round picks not survive that first contract before. Hopefully it's not the same fate for Darius Basley. Coming up, what other players have pr- have pressure on them this year? But first, I want to say about our good friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is a fantastic protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and check out their amazing flavors. They have cookie dough chunk with 160 calories and a whopping 15 grams of protein. And they have everything that you can ask for in terms of, in terms of their flavoring and everything else. So check it out today with built bar. They are all good for you. They're all healthy for you. My personal favorite is cookie dough chunk covered hundred percent real chocolate. Built bars are great pre-workout or post-workout or even as a meal replacement or a snack. So make sure that you check them out today and go See what is in store for you. We are back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LO Thunderpod. Email the show, lothunderpod at gmail.com. We're talking about who, which player has the most pressure on them to perform, and we talked to Darius Baisley. Now let's talk Alexei Pokashevsky. 2020 uh, first-round pick, 17th overall. The Thunder traded up to get him. He's played in 106 NBA games so far, and Poku averages 7 points per game, 5 rebounds per game, and 2 assists per game. He shoots just 37% from the floor, 28% from, from 3. This is another polarizing player. Once again, I feel like you're either all in on Poku or you're so far uh, out on Poku, it's not even funny. It feels like there's no middle ground 
more conversation regarding Alexei Pokashevsky. You either scream about how he's 20 years old and not supposed to be here and he was two years away from being two years away, or you talk about Pokashevsky in the sense of he's been given chances and has not performed. He was always going to be a project and the Thunder always knew that and they still invested in him. I said last season before the year started that I think that it's more likely we see a big jump from year two to three versus one to two. And hopefully that remains true. But my question for Pokashevsky is, and my big thing is, I don't really care necessarily about the stats. I don't really care necessarily about, um, you know, hot and cold streaks. What I care about is, is he so disastrous again where he needs a G League stint to turn his season around? Is it once again going to be a tale of pre-G League, post-G League for Poku's season? If you're still in that frame of reference and that kind of, and that kind of mold for his seasons in year three, then we have a bit of a problem considering this roster crunch. Of course, Chip is another um, part of this. The big thing is if you unlock Pokashevsky's three-point, you know, three-pointer, and he turns into a good three-point shooter, and he plays more under control with his with his fancy passes, and he's able to play make at seven feet tall and still block shots and help side defense. Obviously, things kind of click for him. But I wonder how long of a leash he has especially after possibly another high draft pick. Like you're probably going to pick high again and get a very, really good player in a very loaded draft class. This draft class is incredibly good. Like this draft class goes back and, and rivals that 2021 draft class. Uh, both really talented draft classes. So in my opinion, you're going to have a high draft pick again, a lottery pick. You're going to have an all-in move. I, I would be very shocked and a little disappointed, obviously, if in 2023 offseason – the Thunder do not make an all-in move. So you're going to do two things that make you on the path to winning to where how much longer do you want to try this Pokashevsky experiment, especially if the mold of Chet Holmgren is already working. His contract status is $3.2 million this year, a $5 million club option next year, and he's an RFA in 2024 2025. Again, my big thing with, with, with Pokashevsky is not his stat line. It's not him becoming the starter, you know, level player. If you are so terrible that you can't get on the floor and then you have to go to the G League to regroup in year three, the game's passed you by. We mentioned that all in move. We've mentioned another high draft pick. If those two things happen next year, how far down the list of priority does Pokashevsky fall? How many guys is he now behind at that point? To where if you're shifting your focus next offseason from development to winning and Poku still needs development and he's so far behind the list of priority of guys who are going to get minutes with your NBA roster, where does the team go from there? Where does the team go in that aspect? Basketball Reference projects his stat lines, but they have to use a per 36 figure for Poku, so take that into account as well. So per 36 projection for Poku. 13 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists per night, um, with 40% shooting from the floor and 30% shooting from 3. It, it's interesting to think about Pokashevsky, and I think that, again, you, you are already entrenched in your stance to where there's no changing your mind, no matter if you're all in on Poku or all out on Poku. But the bottom line for me is, can he find that that moment or that instance in training camp or preseason that makes him click? and where you don't have to, you know, send him back down to the G League. I, I just don't want to see G League Poku as a as a 
as a form of getting him going. Now, if it's a form of, hey, we need him to get minutes and just play as a bleed ball handler, he can't get ball handling minutes in the NBA, that's different. But it's a, if it's a if it's out of necessity of this dude just can't play in the NBA. Like we've tried to give him minutes, he looks terrible out there. We need to get him going in the G League, then that's where things start to to go south for me. But if it's the trime in a new role, then of course we'll have to judge that on a case by case basis. But you know what I'm talking about. If you follow this team the last two years, you know the kind of G League stint I'm talking about for Pokoshevsky that I just think would be a disaster. Now the third item on this list out of six. So we're halfway home. The survivor. What I mean by that is Ty Jerome, Vit Critchy, Tail Malon. Somebody's going to survive the roster cut down. I feel very confident that one of those three names are going to be on the roster whenever whenever the roster gets set October 17th, October 16th. Whoever survives it, though, will have, I think, one final shot at the NBA. If it's Vit Critchy, he's on a non-guaranteed deal this year and next year, and he's at 1.9 club option in year three. So you can cut him with no money with no money expenditures at all. It's easy, money-wise. For Ty Jerome, he's in a contract year. He's owed $4.2 million this year. If he survives the roster crunch, he's on an expiring deal. He's on a contract year just like Darius Basley. And Tail Malvon. He has a $1.9 million club option that can be declined very easily and let go in the future, you know, in the next offseason without any issues. So for all three guys. For Vit, you're looking for defensive improvement. If you keep Tail Maldon, you're looking for a jumper improvement. Because if Tail Maldon becomes a good jump shooter and can improve his rim finishing, plus the things he does as a point guard, that's a nice bench piece. And then for Ty Jerome, he needs to become that sharp shooter that people hype him up to be. Like, like there's always been this perception about Ty Jerome that he is a, a, a good shooter and that he is a good three-point shooter. He's not. It's the stuff he does besides three-point shooting that's helped him get to this point. When you look at his three-point percentages in his career, he shot 28% from three as a rookie, 29% from three last year. He did have a 42% year um, in year two of his career, but that was whenever the, the league still had no fans in some arenas. The Thunder had no fans all year long, and so the sight lines are different, and that improves your numbers, of course. But we have two very bad years from three and one very good year from three in his three-year career. So you have a, a, an elite shooting coach, and you have a guy who has shooting potential in Ty Jerome as a shooting baseline that was good enough to shoot, you know, 42% in the league. So can he become more consistent from three as well as doing all the things that he does uh, offensively besides shooting? Like his passing is very good, for example. He's a really good passer to keep your offense in rhythm, keep your offense in flow. So that the survivor to me will have a lot of pressure on them because, hey, we chose you other two, over two other young guys that we like. I, I mean, I think the Thunder really like Vidkrichi. I mean, they brought him over. Um, you know, I let him rehab here. They traded for him in the second round and took on more dead money than they than they otherwise would have had that season to cut Admiral Schofield. They obviously really like Tail Maldon. If it's Ty Jerome that survives, that's a lot of pressure to perform because we could have had a young guy that we that we invested in. If you know it's Vid Critchy, same thing with, with Tail Maldon, and then you traded for Ty Jerome, he's the only one to survive the Chris Paul, um, the Chris Paul trade in Oklahoma City. Like all of those factors, all of that factors in to to this pressure. Plus the self-motivation pressure of, hey, this is my last shot to make it in the NBA. This is my last shot to be an NBA player. All that, I think, provides them with the third most pressure on this roster. Let me know what you think so far. Coming up, we'll talk about the last three names on my list of who has the most pressure to perform this year in Oklahoma City. But first, I want to say right now to go check out Locked On NBA. They have the national perspective on all of basketball 
on that podcast. We are back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LO Thunder Pod. And let's continue talking now. Number four most pressured reform for me is Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren is a guy who is going to be who's going to be talked about by NBA Twitter nonstop. And this is a year where I think that NBA Twitter and the NBA ecosystem, like from the media to the fan, you know, fan bases to everybody will be talking about the thunder again. They'll be paying attention to the thunder again. Cause they want to, they want to see Chet Holmgren. They want to see SGA. They want to see Josh Giddy. and Chet Holmgren will be scrutinized heavily at every single game because every game that other fan base wants to point out all of his flaws. Another fan base wants to have their big man make the highlight clip of, of quote-unquote overpowering Chet Holmgren. So every game is going to be a huge test for Chet Holmgren. He's already a guy who, who most draft people boomed, you know, you know, deemed as a boomer bust kind of candidate. And the pressure of just inherently being the second overall pick and being viewed as a savior, being viewed as kind of that, that part of the core to, to push Josh Giddy and SGA over the top. And within the own within your own fan base, within the Thunder fan base, we just saw Josh Giddy dominate his rookie year. We just saw Josh Giddy collect every single Western Conference Player of the Month award. We've seen a rookie get off to a hot start and hit the ground running in the NBA. So that is going to add more pressure to Chet Holmgren because we're going to want to see that again from this rookie, even though it's incredibly hard to have that much of a, of a successful start to your rookie year and to your NBA career. So he'll he'll be in the starting lineup out of the gate. He'll face off with elite big men throughout the throughout the year, and he'll need to thrive as a rookie because Josh Giddy was able to. And that's the standard now in Oklahoma City for these rookies. Plus, he's viewed as a savior of the franchise and who you pick number two overall. So there's always going to be that that constant comparison to Paolo and Jabari and Chet and who 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 should have gone number one, who should have gone number two, who should have gone number three, things of that nature. So there's a lot of pressure on Chet Holmgren to me, especially after seeing uh, how easy how easy Josh Giddy adjusted the NBA, for lack of a better word. Obviously, it wasn't incredibly easy. He made it look easy. It's still very hard, but he did a great job as a rookie. Number five for me is Lou Dort. Look, when you get paid, expectations rise. He's a fan favorite. He always will be a fan favorite. Nobody's going to turn their back on Lou Dort. However, that five-year, $82 million contract raised some eyebrows, both nationally and within this fan base. Like People within the Thunder fan base raise their eyebrows at that, at that, at that amount of money. You're no longer on a huge bargain deal. You're no longer on this just abhorrently bad team-friendly deal. You're getting paid. So you're looking for improvement from three. You're looking for him to fit more into his offensive role now that this roster is more rounded out. And you're still looking for that elite defense. I think that Lou Dort will do it. I think that Lou Dort will thrive this year and show you, hey, when you factor in the cap rise, when you factor in how valuable defense is, when you factor in how how his three-point percentages are going to go up, not only because of the shooting coach, but because he'll be taking more corner threes and top of the break threes. When you factor all that in, that contract's going to look like a steal. When you when you, when you you say that to me, I think that that's going to happen this year for, for Lou Dort. However, it is going to be pressurized for the start of the season because you just signed that new contract. And then the last player, number six, on who's going to have the most pressure? Josh Giddy. I think that Josh Giddy has set the bar so high for himself, and fans are so excited for him that they're going to need to see a little improvement or else they're going to unfairly kind of question him a little bit. He's working hard this offseason. 
everyone's excited. Everyone's putting expectations on him. Everybody's putting pressure on him, which expectations and pressure are a good thing. They're a good thing. And so for Josh Giddy, the biggest thing is going to be his jump shot. And right or wrong, people are going to say that he's going to improve his jump shot in one year. They'll, they'll talk about how they hired a shooting coach. They'll talk about how, you know, if he doesn't shoot well, you know, will he ever shoot well? It's it's still unfair to, to say that. Uh, even if he shoots poorly this year, I, th- I don't think that the book is written on his jump shot. I think th- that we'll see a big improvement from year two to three and three to four in his jump shot, even more so than this year. But for Josh Giddy though, he's created pressure for himself by being so good, by, by being so good last year as a rookie, that you're going to want to see that natural progression, even though we should know that progression is not linear. So that is where I'm at with this team. Who are your biggest pressure points on this roster? Who do you think has the most pressure on them to perform for the Oklahoma City Thunder? Let me know. How do you think that this all shakes out? Will Baisley get a long-term deal? Will Poku survive in the NBA? Will Chet Holmgren be dubbed Boomer Bust as a rookie? What's going to happen this season? Let me know. Comment section down below or on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. And until tomorrow, be good and be good to one another.